0: At the start of the millennium, Jeremiah Terminator Leroy, or known simply as JT Leroy, published his debut novel, Sarah. Shortly afterwards, in 2001, a second book, The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things, was released to critical acclaim. As debuts go, Leroy's book became an instant hit on both sides of the pond, and by 2004 had been published in over 20 different languages. His voice encapsulated a generation of kids, many of whom lived on the margins of society. Queers, punks, freaks, and sex workers all found solace in Leroy's words, the content of which has been labeled as an autobiographical transgressive fiction. Swiftly compared to William Burroughs and Jean Genet, key themes included sexuality, addiction, and abuse. Peaking just before the beginning of social media, Leroy was a millennial who by fortune arrived on the literary stage at a time when anonymity was still available. Like all good stories, plot twists and character reveals are essential to the narrative arc, and this story is full of them. In the early noughties, with Leroy's notoriety rising, his story was beginning to become more absurd the more visible he became. It's no surprise, though, that Leroy blurred his reality. Leroy's life had been everything but conventional. To understand this story, we need to explore JT's history, and this is what we know, fact and fiction. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Leah, and this is the show when we look back at some of the biggest attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subjects of our study deserve public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter, because all of them are judged in the court of public opinion, and ultimately, cancelled JT Leroy was born in West Virginia on Halloween 1980 his mother Sarah was just 14 years old at the time of his birth he spent the first four years of his life being passed around between foster parents and care homes before Sarah was able to regain custody of her son when she was 18 years old what followed is by Leroy's accounts many years of intense abuse and incredible love that left Leroy unable to decipher between the two. Leroy spent his childhood and early adolescence following his mother Sarah from the outskirts of one tumbleweed town to another as she worked the truck stops and gas stations around America. Sarah was a sex worker. They didn't have a secure home, education or access to care. They were continually moving between Johns and Flatbroke. A John, by the way, is slang for a sex worker's client. As a child and early teen, Sarah had started to dress up the young Leroy in female clothes and makeup and called him Cherry Vanilla. Noticing that when Leroy looked feminine, the more interest he gained from her clients. Soon after, Sarah began pimping out the young Leroy for her own profit and gain. Leroy had become a child sex worker and quickly fell into drugs and other criminal activity as a way to escape and indulge his pain. In the mid-90s, after years of harrowing treatment by others, Leroy found himself alone in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. His mother had disappeared. He was living on the streets and sleeping between dumpsters in the Golden Gate Park. Without any education or formal training, Leroy worked the streets as a gay sex worker and turned tricks for cash. He was addicted to crack, heroin, and he was HIV positive. It was in San Francisco that Leroy's destiny began to change when he started a program of therapy with Dr. Terence Owens, a psychologist with the Macaulay Adolescent Psychiatric Program. Communicating sometimes daily and only by telephone, Dr. Owens began treating Leroy, who was exhibiting suicidal ideation and fragmented thinking. It was during these phone calls that Owens encouraged him to write down his past. He was 15 years old at the time. Begrudgingly, Leroy agreed and began to write down his version of events from the perspective of a teenage boy amongst many, working the tarmac and truck stops around the USA. He documented his childhood and the relationship to his mother in what would become the first two novels. Suffering from crippling anxiety due to past trauma, Leroy had never been seen in public and preferred to communicate with people only through the telephone, fax and email. Aside from Dr. Owens, Leroy had spent hours, sometimes well into the night, chatting on the phone to other writers in the San Francisco area, sharing his manuscripts, but mostly the intimate details of his life. In time, many of these literary figures began forming relationships with Leroy, falling into the role of parental caretaking figures and feeling responsible for Leroy's mental well-being. When Leroy's debut, Sarah, was published in 2001, Leroy was living with a couple in San Francisco who had saved him from the streets and taken him under their care. Emily, or Speedy as she was known, was a British outreach worker with a prominent Cockney accent and her musician partner, Aster. They both cared for Leroy like their own, as well as their younger son, Thor. Speedy appointed herself as Leroy's chaperone, manager and PR assistant, and was always by his side. In 2002, following pressure from the press, Leroy made his first physical appearance in Interview magazine. The image, which accompanied the interview, featured Leroy wearing a roughly cut blonde wig and oversized black sunglasses and a hat. This was to become Leroy's signature look, finished off with the raccoon penis bone necklace that is mentioned in his books, which he sold through his website. You see, aside from the secrecy around his identity, Leroy had included his email address at the back of his books and had established a huge digital fan base. He'd also jumped on the recent internet technology and created an online community forum. The group attracted Leroy fans, writers and many of the LGBTQIA community who wanted a place to share their experiences directly with Leroy and others. With his fame rising, Leroy began to make more public appearances and photo shoots. He was typically aloof, mumbling words, and never made direct eye contact. He also claimed that he'd never learnt to read, which is why, at most of his book readings, Leroy enlisted celebrities to take his place. A rostrum of superstars featuring Lou Reed, Nancy Sinatra, Carrie Fisher, and Sarah Bernard all stepped in and supported Leroy whenever they could. Bono offered to mentor him, and Madonna reportedly sent books about the Kabbalah. The film director and actress Asia Argento acquired the film rights to Leroy's second book, The Heart Is Deceitful Above All Things, and co-wrote and played his mother Sarah in the adaptation. Premiering at the Cannes Film Festival in 2004, Argento could be seen standing next to Harvey Weinstein, whom she later famously called out for sexual assault. Leroy and Speedy were also in attendance. Rumors circulated that Leroy and Argento had an intimate relationship leading up to the film's release, but then again, Leroy was no stranger to hearsay. Supposedly, Leroy was taking the female hormone estrogen and was planning on or had recently obtained sex reassignment surgery. Although Leroy never made any public statements that he was transgender or preferred she, her pronouns, the rumor was never validated. The biggest and loudest rumor of them all, which had gained more and more traction the longer Leroy enjoyed the limelight, was that JT Leroy or the person who was claiming to be JT Leroy was a complete fabrication. Here's the plot twist. In March 2005, the writer Stephen Beachy, suspicious that JT Leroy was just a costume, started an investigation to uncover who was hiding behind the mask. He wasn't alone. The trans and queer sex worker community in San Francisco had also come to an agreement that considering Leroy's history in the city, no one actually met him or knew who Leroy was. Fellow queer writers and the literary greats Leroy had fawned over in long telephone calls also collected information and stories which were contradictory at best. By all accounts, Leroy's history and secret identity was a series of veils obscuring the dysfunctional mentality and or genius of someone else. The New York Magazine published an article in October 2005, written by Beachy, that implicated Laura Albert, the San Francisco-based author, as the writer, creator and conspirator responsible for JT Leroy. Albert, who he'd already met as Speedy, denied the claims. In defense of Leroy, a host of celebrity supporters wrote statements attacking Beachy's article and publicly validating Leroy's existence. The psychologist, Dr. Owens, who had spent years working with and treating JT Leroy, had never suspected that he was talking to somebody different. Owens is quoted as saying he was surprised and confused in response to the allegations. Then, in January 2006, the New York Times published an article claiming that JT Leroy was a hoax and that the public face of Leroy was actually a woman called Savannah Newt. Savannah Noop was the sister-in-law of Laura Albert through her partner, Asta, who we now know was called Jeffrey Noop. In response to these articles, Laura Albert and Savannah Noop both withdrew from the public eye and away from the press. A month after the first article, another story appeared in the New York Times, in which Jeffrey Noop, now separated from Laura Albert, apologised for his part in what he described as, quote, an all-consuming web of deceit, end quote. Laura Albert, Jeffrey, and Savannah Noop had kept the J.T. Leroy charade rolling for nearly four years, but that was only the tip of the iceberg. The daughter of an infamous con woman, Laura Albert was taught how to obtain what she wanted by deceiving people. As a child, Albert had created characters and performed to herself in front of the bathroom mirror. Craving an audience, she took this one step further. The older she became. Before JT Leroy, there were countless other creations used to shield and protect Laura Albert from her own reality. It was as a minor that Albert experienced physical and emotional abuse from her caregivers, and later, as a young woman, suffered at the hands of others. Ending up in a group home for vulnerable women, Albert began calling suicide hotlines and used the voice of a teenage boy to share her experiences and emotions. Being somebody else allowed Albert to be intimate and vulnerable and kept a safe distance from the trauma she herself had suffered. When she relocated to San Francisco from New York, Albert met Jeffrey Noop and they began creating artistic projects together. To make ends meet, Albert took on several jobs, one of which was as a phone sex operator. Finally honed in the ability to mimic other people, Albert was able to flourish within these roles. Developing her voice as a writer along the way, Albert was able to weave her traumatic past and her ability to be other people into her work and created JT Leroy during the late 90s. During this time, she began her lengthy contact with Dr. Owens and other writers under her new guise. It was through these literary networks that Albert's manuscripts as Leroy reached the publishers Bloomsbury and eventually the editor, Paneo By this point, Albert had successfully transformed into Leroy through her writing, phone calls, emails and faxes, and kept her own identity hidden for over five years. Savannah Noop arrived in 2001, and following pressure from Albert and the need to earn some money, agreed to perform as the public face of Leroy. What happened over the next four years is well documented, but their plot fell apart following the article published in January 2006. Shortly after, Antidote, The company which had optioned the J.T. Leroy books and films sued Laura Albert for fraud. At the trial, Albert argued that J.T. Leroy was a pseudonym which gave her a channel to breathe and write about her own experiences as an abuse survivor. During the hearing, it was uncovered that back in 2001, Albert had created a corporation called Underdogs Inc. along with her mother to disguise the fact that Leroy was a pseudonym and signed documents illegally in the name of J.T. Leroy. Clearly, in the court of law, this doesn't bode well. Albert was found guilty of fraud by the jury and was required to pay back antidote the damages for the contract. The case was eventually settled out of court and Albert then stayed out of the press for over a year. At this point, Savannah Noop retreated from the public eye too, only to surface again years later using they, them pronouns to talk about their experiences of being Leroy in their memoir, Girl, Boy, Girl, How I Became JT Leroy. The fans and devotees of Leroy were devastated by the revelations, with many feeling bereft and manipulated by the ruse. Many reacted with outrage that Albert had positioned Leroy as a damaged queer, when she couldn't possibly understand what that was like, and that she deliberately played on the suffering of those with HIV or those who'd lost somebody to AIDS. JT Leroy had given false promise to thousands of individuals who were struggling with trauma, shame and addiction. Leroy's experience, strength, and hope, so eloquently recalled through his words, was immediately discarded and seen as nothing but smoke and mirrors. Or was it? Among all the fraudulent acts and deceit, there is Laura Albert's story. The story of a woman who transcended her own personal narrative and climbed up to the top through sheer persistence and self-belief. Leroy allowed the author unprecedented access to an industry notoriously gatekept by men and the inner circle of Hollywood elite. Albert's strength within this story was her ability to play the system by their own rules. The arrival of Leroy caused ripples around the globe. Could the same have been said if Laura Albert had used her own name when penning those books? Undoubtedly, no. Today, Laura Albert signs the books as herself and is still in communication with Dr. Owens. Leroy was cancelled, but Laura lives on. Mm. This episode was written by Rhiannon Styles. This is a Broccoli production.